that the uh, ushers have message notes and they will get them to you right now, but I see no ushers. Oh, you already did it? Did I miss it? Uh, great, that's embarrassing. Okay. No, no, it's okay. It's all right. I just was, you know, I wanted to make sure everyone had one. Thank you, Ronnie. I feel like an idiot. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for miracles that come through people like we just witnessed. And so, Lord, we, we want your mercy here in this moment to listen to what you have to say to us, and then we want to obey. So would you let light flood our lives here as we begin to ask really important questions and as we wrestle with the scriptures, Lord, we want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a young man named Jim Abbott. He was born without a hand. He only had one hand. And as he grew up, you know, he wanted to do stuff with the other kids. You want to play with the other kids. So he, um, he started trying to play baseball with the other kids. And he said to his dad one day, he said, Dad, nobody wants to play baseball with me because I don't have a hand. <laughs> and his dad answered him as a little boy. He said, no, they don't want to play with you because you stink at baseball. So that sent him on a journey. And his dad began to practice with him, practice baseball. And they began to play catch, and they be, he began to teach him, and he began to show him how to throw and how to catch with one hand, and he would move his glove from one hand and hold it in his arm that didn't have a hand, and then throw the ball with the arm that had the glove on, its, on his hand, and so he, as he did this, he began to grow up, and he began to play in city leagues, and he began to play in high school, and finally, he gets to the to Michigan University where he plays for the Michigan University team and, and leads them in, in pitching and, he, and played with them and they won two Big Ten championships. He goes to the Olympics in 1988 with the, with the United States team and wins a gold medal pitching for that team. It was the first time the United States had beaten Cuba in 25 years. It was it, it an was incredible thing that was happening to him. He was drafted by major league, a Major League Baseball team, the California Angels, in 1988 to be a pitcher. He played for several different teams, including the Yankees, and in 1993, he pitched a no-hitter for the Yankees. It is an incredible story. It was amazing to see this man. Some of you probably remember his story. But it stands as a reminder that sometimes we forget we have a choice to overcome the obstacles that are in our way. You and I have a choice to overcome the obstacles that are in our way. And as we're deep into this series on purpose, the lies we believe about our potential. And we've been talking about these lies that we just take on. And last week, we talked about several obstacles that are in our way. We talked about refusing to do anything until you have everything figured out. Can't do that because we live by faith. And so you can't have everything figured out if you're going to live by faith. And so if you want God's purpose, you've got to start. You've got to start doing the, the things that you know are in his heart. You've got to start serving other people. Trying to fulfill your purpose in your own strength is another obstacle. And we think we're going to do it all, when in reality we need to do it with his strength and not by ourselves. 
Last week we spoke about the obstacle of other people's criticism and how hard that is, how difficult that is. And we asked the question, well, who are you doing this for anyway? What is your purpose about? Why are you doing it? Other people's criticism should not stop it. Your, finally, your character. Some people, they never allow their character to be grown, to be built, to be secured strongly enough to carry the purpose that God has given them. But that's only a sampling of the things that we face on this journey. And so today, if you missed any of those messages, you can go back online at onechapel.com or the podcast and listen to them. You can catch up. But today, I want to tackle some more obstacles that get in our way of accomplishing our purpose. As I said at the beginning, I don't know what your specific purpose is because every person has a purpose. We all can join together on God's great purpose in the earth, but you have a specific part to play. I don't know what your personal purpose is, but I can tell you two things for sure. Number one, you have one. You have a purpose. And number two, your purpose revolves around other people. Your purpose has to do with what's going on with others. It's not just about you. It's not just about how great you can be. It's not just about your own gifts. It has to do with something with other people. And so as we're, as we're going through these series and we're tackling these issues, I want, you to, I want you to really be praying about what God wants to say to you personally about your purpose. So I think one of the most common obstacles that we face is busyness. Number one is busyness. Surprise, surprise. We live in a culture that is so addicted to being busy. We wear it as a badge. We wear it as a, as a thing that says, hey, we're important. Um, we're, 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 you know, trying to, to, to do all the things that are in front of us. We're trying to take care of our family. We're trying to make sure we have what we need. Um, every one of us is so busy. In fact, this is always the way it's been with humanity. They become busy with things. In Isaiah 58, verse 2, the prophet speaks to God's people. He says, you're busy, busy, busy doing all these things, but you've missed the purpose. You've missed my heart. And so <clears throat> every one of us busy with our activities, our commitments, our responsibilities, our opportunities. And when we're not busy, we're like, we're like zeroed in on our social media. And we're looking at our iPhones or our Androids. And we're, and we're looking at what other people are busy doing. <laughs> I was at my son's 10-year-old basketball game yesterday. It's like eight teams in this gymnasium, and they're, they're playing four different games on four different courts, and all the parents are coming in, and as they come in, they find the seats along the wall, you know, and so it's, a, it's kind of a new team for everybody, um, and so all the, all the parents come in and find a place to sit, and I noticed that I was watching it happen, and they sit down, and immediately they go to their phone and they start working on stuff they're either working or they're scrolling or they're swiping or they're doing something and 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 i think i think they do it so they don't have to talk to the other weird parents who are sitting around them <laughs> I, I know that's why i did it so i I think there's a, an addiction. There's like a, this thing that we do, and we don't even think about it. We like busy ourselves, and and I think this is a, dis, a, a something that distracts us from God's great purpose. When you boil it down, here's the thing we have to wrestle with: if we're really honest with ourselves, 
most of the busyness in our lives revolves around taking care of ourselves. I know some of you moms may disagree with this. I get it. But I think there is a, a sense at which the things, the plates that we keep spinning, you know, on those poles that you've seen, you know, it's amazing how that happens. We spin these plates, try to keep them from dropping, but not all of them are important. In fact, many of them just have to do with our personal comfort, which means responding to the needs of others may not even be on our radar. And this is really significant for us because of really what I, I said about, about what your purpose has to do with. It has to do with other people. So if the enemy can keep you busy, if he can keep you moving with activity that can distract you with all your stuff, you'll never actually be able to step into your purpose. You'll never actually make an eternal impact in the lives of others. That's why we have to develop rhythms. Everybody say rhythms. We have to develop rhythms to break the busy cycle. Rhythms to break the busy cycle of our lives. I think the key to curing busyness is offered in the scriptures. It is called Sabbath. Everybody say it. Sabbath. In the Western world, we're not very good at Sabbath. I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus said something here. He said, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. So what that means is you don't have to, you don't, you don't have to obey the Sabbath. You get to obey the Sabbath. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you realize this. If I said, I, I said to you, okay, pick one of the Ten Commandments, any one of the ten, and, and you can just disobey it, and God doesn't care, and it's fine. Just go ahead and disobey it. Go ahead. You can kill somebody. If you want to pick that one, just go ahead and kill. Kill ahead and kill people. You can be a murderer. It's no big deal to God. It'd be a problem, wouldn't it? It sounds ridiculous, right? That's kind of what we do with the Sabbath. Because it's one of the big ten. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? It's like, honor the Sabbath, that's a big deal. So some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, Jesus. Jesus actually <laughs> violated the Sabbath rules. Ah, ah, he did. But one of the things he was trying to do was restore the original intent of the Sabbath. The original intent of joy, of stopping, of realizing that it is not what you can produce or how well you can obey that earns God's favor. This is why Jesus kept doing this. And most of the time he was doing it with good reason because he was healing people on the Sabbath. And that, can you believe how screwed up the religious system was of Jesus' day that they got mad at him for healing on the Sabbath, right? They were afraid of their own power being given away like like they were going to lose it to Jesus because Jesus was healing people and it was incredible and he spoke with authority and it was awesome so Jesus was trying to trying to help people discover the original intent and in in many ways we need to discover the original intent of Sabbath Sabbath gives us the opportunity to rest and reflect rest and reflect and when you rest here's something interesting that happens you you stop producing things. You stop working for pay, and you stop working on your projects that have to be done for some other reason, right? You rest, and it, and it does something. It clarifies something in your mind. It reminds you that you are valuable to God no matter 
what you can or cannot produce. Producing is not what makes you valuable. You can reflect on where you've been. You can, you can reprioritize where you're going because you've spent a day, 24 hours. Here's what most of us, here's how most of our, our process works with work and, and rest. We have a routine in America, and it's this. Work, 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 work some more, vacation. <laughs> and then work, 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 and take a few days off. <laughs> Can I just encourage you that Jesus' rhythm is work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. That it's six and one, six and one, six and one, six and one. And it's challenging, I think, sometimes for us to commit a whole day to just being. Being with the people we love and allowing God to speak to us. But if we don't, if we don't break the busy cycle, we will lose our purpose. Number two, another obstacle that we have to breakthrough is our priorities. And it's, it's kind of related to the first point. Um, Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says, so do not worry, saying what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. He is saying if you'll make the kingdom first, if you'll put me first, then there's something that can happen. You will start to create space and capacity for me to add things to you. But if, here's, here's what Jesus is really saying. If you try to accumulate, if you try to hold on to everything on your own, and you try to, you're worried all the time about all these extraneous things, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, where, how important are you, and you keep, keep amassing this stuff, then you have no room for what Jesus wants to give you because you're holding too much. You've heard me say it many times, order determines capacity. You put your life in order and then you create capacity. That's what this verse means. You put your life in order under Jesus and he starts enlarging your capacity to receive. And I think this is such a big deal for most of us. Our priorities are kind of related to our basic needs, experiencing comfort, pleasure. So when you start talking about your purpose, it usually gets squeezed out for all these things. But please get this big idea. Never confuse activity for significance or impact. Never confuse activity for significance and impact. Meaning doesn't come from what we'd have to do to survive. Meaning doesn't come from what we have to do to survive. Meaning comes from what we do that adds value to the lives of others. In other words, there are things you have to do to survive. You have to earn a living. You have to pay your bills. You have to stay healthy. You need to maintain strong and healthy relationships. These are all good things. The acts, but the acts that push you, that push you beyond survival and provide you with greater joy and fulfillment, these are the things that you do that make the world a better place, that influence other people. That means you have to make your purpose every bit as important and central to life as putting food on the table, paying your bills, doing well in your vocation, right? Eating healthy foods, um, making sure your children are educated. These are all really good things. 
And this means what we're doing is we're orienting our lives. As we do these things, we're orienting our lives. We have to prioritize around the ways of Jesus. The way of Jesus. The way we follow Jesus is so important. The Greek word for disciple is methetes. Methetes. And, and the best English word we have for this word is apprentice. Apprentice. It wasn't the idea. It, it's not the idea. See, we, we, are, we live in a culture where we have an idea of what following looks like. It is not the idea that we follow Jesus like we follow people on Instagram. It's like, it's like you kind of don't have anything else to do, so you sit down and you start looking through your Instagram feed, and you're like, yeah, I wonder what Jesus is doing today. <laughs> oh, I got to make sure I'm following him. Follow. How did I get unfollowed? I'm following Jesus. Oh, that's cool, doing some miracles. That's awesome. Oh, but look what Betty's doing. That's cool. <laughs> See, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's, there's something beyond this kind of following. It's not, you're not a disciple or a follower or an apprentice of the ways of Jesus by studying the Bible. See, we're talking about living life the way Jesus lived his life. And that's a greater challenge. We're, an, we're apprentices to Jesus. An apprentice to Jesus will be with Jesus. An apprentice to Jesus will be like Jesus. An apprentice to Jesus will do what Jesus did. Rick Warren, brilliant pastor, brilliant author, he, he says that a disciple is one who acts, thinks, and feels like Jesus. And I think that's, that's what we're after. Jesus isn't one of your many priorities. He's not one of the things you've got to get to on your list. He is the very paper on which you write down your priorities. That's how you should think of him. Because he influences them all. If you don't wrestle out the issue of priorities, it will constantly be an obstacle. It will actually prevent you from living out your purpose. It, and so you, 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 gotta, you end up your life, end up with your life simply in survival mode. We want to go past survival mode. Here's what Miles Monroe said. He said, you and every other individual on this planet possesses an awesome treasure. Too much of this treasure is buried every day, untapped and untouched in the cemeteries of our world. Much talent, skill, and creativity have been lost to the world for want of a little courage. Many obscure men and women enter eternity pregnant with potential, with a stillborn purpose. Living with ability brings responsibility, but dying with ability brings irresponsibility. Look, we've got we've to make sure our priorities are set well. And Jesus is the one who sets them. Finally, the third obstacle, number three, we're not willing to give up what we think we have in order to get what Jesus offers. We're not willing to give up what we think we have in order to get what Jesus offers. Mark 10, 17 tells the story of a man who ended up in just such a conundrum. Verse 17 says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. 
You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away very sad, for he had many possessions. For so many of us, we are just like this rich young ruler, <laughs> only we're not rich or young. <laughs> or we think we're not rich or young. When we're confronted with Jesus' call to deny ourselves, to take up his cross, and to follow him, our first reaction is often to be defensive. Oh, I've done so many good things. I mean, so much of our orientation around how we interact with God comes from this cultural idea of, I'm a good person. It's not just about being a good person, although, Jesus makes us into good people. Our first reaction sometimes is to be defensive. We want to make excuses, and in almost every case, our excuses stem from the fact that we don't want to give up what we have. The, the problem with the rich young ruler was that he wasn't convinced. Now listen to me. He wasn't convinced that what he was going to give up couldn't compare to what Jesus would give him in return. That was, that was his, and that's, our, that's your problem, that's my problem. We become convinced that what we have is so worth holding on to that we're not going to give it up so that Jesus can replace it with something else, something greater, something grander, something that, that has his love and mercy and truth and power all over it. Matthew 10, 39 says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Jesus clearly says, if you're going to find your life, you have to lose it. So the question you and I have to answer is, what are you clinging to? What are you clinging to today that you need to let go of? This, this kind of story is in all kinds of literature. All kinds of movies revolve around this idea because it's a human idea. There's a thing that God put inside of us that longs for this something grander, something greater that God wants to give us. Any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Yeah? All, all three of you? That's awesome. Lord of the Rings has this story in it. It's so amazing. Sam and Frodo, right? They, they forsake their comfortable lives, the comfortable lives of the Shire. Oh, the Shire. So beautiful. Second breakfast. They, t they forsake their comfortable lives in order to undertake the great calling that has landed on their lives. take one more step it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been 
concept. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. One step. It's always the first step. So hard to take. Really, all I'm doing today is asking you to take a first step. Sam and Frodo were on their way to a grand adventure. It was incredible what they were supposed to do. They had to take risks and move out of their comfort zones in order to experience the greatest adventure any of them had ever seen. But not just that. If you think about the story, the story is a picture. It's a picture of us. And they ended up defeating evil. And they ended up saving Middle Earth. Do you remember the Shire, Mr. Fulmore? It'll be spring soon. The orchards will be in blossom. The birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket. And they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields. And eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? Sam, I recall the taste of food. No, the, the sound of water. the best scene in the whole movie. It's actually the end, so if you haven't seen it, I just saved you nine hours. <laughs> the same thing sort of happened to Amy and I when we left the comfort of Colorado to come to this scary city of Austin. Not exactly the same. I didn't sweep her up into my arms and say, I, you can't, I can't carry it, but I can carry you. I didn't say that. Something close. But it was, it was a challenge. Like we were, we were, we were embarking on a, on a journey, on an adventure. We had no idea how it would end. I think most of us want to stay in the comfort of what we know versus the unknown that requires faith. In the scriptures, Peter and Andrew were the same way when Jesus called them. They had to leave the financial security of their own fishing business. 
Mark 10, Jesus asks this rich young ruler to do the same, but he turns away because he wasn't willing to give up what he had. I don't know if you, have you ever seen the game show, Let's Make a Deal? Some of you are like, yeah, I, was, I watched that when I was a kid. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. For those of you who were born before the Dark Ages, um, or after the Dark Ages, sorry, it's, it's, a, it's a television show. Monty Hall actually passed away last weekend. So there's this, there's this story where they, they have this show and they, they come with all their uh, outfits. They dress up in crazy outfits and Monty Hall gives them cash prizes and then says to them, all right, you can take the cash home or you can choose what's behind door number three or box number two or whatever. And he goes through this whole thing and there's this tension and there's, should I give up the cash or should I, should I, Choose the box. I don't know what's in the box. It's a great show. I don't think you're getting it. <laughs> so I have $100. I need a, um, I need a volunteer from the audience. You're on the worship team. Sorry. John Michael, come on over here. I, no. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you this $100 bill, and it is yours. Here you go. It is yours. It belongs to you. You can do with it wh how, whatever you want, uh, or <laughs> you've seen this box sitting up here the whole time I've been speaking. Look how pretty it is. See the gold? There's something really precious in this box. And you can take the $100 and go. Because it's yours. <laughs> or you can exchange it for what is in this box. So, so tell him what to do. What do you think he should do? What do you think he should do? Come on, tell him, tell him what you should do. Some of you are so, keep the money. <laughs> what are you going to do? I think I'm going to take the money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it's, it's totally okay for you to take the money. Is that your final decision? Box, box. All right, I'll box. Let's see what's in the box. Hey, don't feel pressured just because we're up here and the pastor's doing an a, 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 a a thing that you need to participate with. You can take the money. Okay, he's ready to do the box. He's making a real fundamental decision. He's made it in his soul. He looked at his wife. She kind of went. But then he made his own decision. Yes, yeah, sorry. It's not his wife yet. He's getting married next week. I didn't know he'd be in this service, but it's a good reason to pick him. Don't you agree? Because what's in this box, now, the thing about the box and the thing about let's make a deal is it could be an amazing experience or it could be pickles. <laughs> it could be pickles. So we don't know what's in it. Could be deal pickles. But I'm going to ask you to now open this up and I want you to take, you're going to give me this, all right? And I want you to open it up, yeah. 
Open it up, look what's inside. Okay, what does it say? Uh, it says 100 to give away. Great. 100 to give away. Okay, so you take, take it out of there. Everybody's so excited you got $100 to give away. Isn't it? There's all Christians in the room. They're, they're so, so excited. Okay, take the $100. Now, you can give it to anybody in this room that you want to give it to. All right? So you can take... <laughs> okay, that is so awesome. Come on, give him a hand. Good job. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. What did we just learn here? And here's the thing. The question is, do you believe what Jesus said? That it is better to give than to receive. I don't know. It looked pretty risky right there to me. And this doesn't always happen. Because God doesn't, we don't always see it. But because I love him and I'm a good pastor, I'm going to give him that $100. And he gets to take it home. See, there's, there's this, this tension that you just experienced is a tension that we experience every single day about whether or not we're going to give up what we have in order to receive what Jesus has for us. And I think we have, to, we have to be willing to give up control. We want to keep control, but we must give away control to the one who is in charge of all things, who can give you anything, who can make anything happen for you, who can provide for your every need, who can be the one who shows you wonders beyond what you could imagine because you are willing to trust him. Close your eyes and bow your head. I want us to come to this moment and I want you to I want you to realize I'm not I'm not really asking you to quit your job and go do something crazy I'm not really telling you that you have to leave your homes or liquidate all your assets I'm not telling you this I'm what I'm simply saying is that you have to hold all these things loosely in relationship to your purpose because for some of you in your position at work, you are in a significant position of influence, and God has a purpose for that. And he wants to explore. He wants you to explore that purpose, and, and he wants you to s- discover it. For the others of you, you don't know what is next for you. You just know there's something burning in your heart, and you've got to take that next step, and I want to encourage you to take it. Relinquish all your plans and all that you have in mind for his plan and his purpose. And the best place to wrestle through that is at the table of the Lord. Because it is at the Lord's table where you can experience the sustaining power, the nourishment. You can experience the provision that your heart needs. You can receive the courage that your soul needs in order to make this decision. So as you come to this table, it is the table that Jesus himself set with his broken body and his blood. The bread representing his body, broken for our healing. The the cup representing his blood, 
that washes away every mistake and every failure and every foolish act we've ever done. And it, and it relinquishes you from sin's grip. And it allows you to move forward to fulfill his purpose. Would you receive that from him today? Would you think about the things that you're holding on to tightly? Would you bring them to this table and would you lay them down before him? Would you surrender to him and then receive what he has? It's a divine exchange. May your heart be open. May your life be filled with Jesus. Father, we thank you. This moment, we ask you to lead us and guide us, direct us. As we come to this table, would you bring to our minds and our memories things that we must offer to you so that we can receive what you have instead. We thank you for